You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. 12, 12, JP, 12 different seed types all in one sweet little food plot. And it's amazing how well it works, and it's not just because it's got all these different great variety of things, but it's the fact that they mature at different rates. The deer will key in on one of those seed types all the way through the fall. They call it a kill plot for a reason. They call it the deadly dozen for a reason. Check it out guys. www.realworldwildlifeproducts.com That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't know the answer, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. get the pilot of Red Arrow going. There's really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there in the That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutledge here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Lee and Tiffany Lukowski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz with Train Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and Tiffany on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Pro Talk Outdoors. Uh, Dave and JP sitting here in the studio, kind of looking around, looking at the calendar. We're in the lull, man, but it's been a super successful season already, I have to say. Really for both of us, I know you haven't filled a a deer tag yet. You have filled a turkey tag, which we'll talk about that in a moment. But imagine how we felt this time last year and how we feel this time this year. I think we've had more challenges on the whole of 2020 this year on a lot of our properties than what we had last year. But I still have to say that the success we've had, despite those challenges, 
far exceeds the success we'd had at this juncture last year. Oh, yeah, and even even given all those curveballs, yeah, it's like we're facing that junk pitcher, you know, it just he's, he's dropping down submarine, he's throwing us knuckleballs and curveballs and spitballs and splitters and everything else. But I'll tell you what, I think we are absolutely primed to see that juicy fastball and knock it out, man. I'm telling you, we, we are set well. I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure you feel the same way I do. Extremely optimistic for what we're getting ready to jump into here in just a couple weeks. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, I have to say, though, I mean, there's been years past where you and I have both had uh, more bucks and better bucks on camera. We don't have that luxury this year. However, we've got a handful of, of shooter bucks. I mean, we don't have anything world-class running around. And, and at times, we've had a, a deer or two that would have approached Booner status. Right. Uh, we don't have that. I don't expect that. But we actually have even less than what we normally have. But I still feel better about it. A, we've got a, a new property in Indiana that we leased this year that is uh, – essentially going to be what we've made it um, because we've not had hardly any. I feel really good about it. I feel great about it. We've not had a lot of outside influence. So we we took care of all the trespassers, the folks that were no longer supposed to be on it in the spring. We got ahead of that early. Uh, It turns out that all of the tillable acreage on this farm, which is significant, didn't get planted. Now there's been a little bit of impact there. There was some bedding cut down that we thought was going to still be there. Uh, That was unfortunate. But for the most part, the success we have on that farm is going to be our own, or whether it's failure. We're going to have to own that because the food plot we have there, two of them truly, are, are completely our doing. Uh, any of the, the entrance and exit of people on that farm is all of our doing. So uh, really outside of neighbors, our success or failure there is going to be our own. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, what – yeah, I know we've talked about this in past podcasts a little bit about what we did, but it's it's worth revisiting because we've got some updates on it, and and it, it's kind of uh, coming to fruition a little bit on what our plan was. You know, originally when we found out that what's well, validation that we're oh, not absolutely. just absolutely yeah you're not just full of bleep. You know, sitting here spouting off to to have podcast content. Yeah, we you know originally we had this these ag fields that did not get planted whatsoever, and so we decided to take a back how many acres you think we got there on the the twin plots yeah uh three three and a half yeah something something like that we'll call it three plus um so we took three plus acres there and we decided to work them up you know and uh with the farmer's blessing and and we planted what we first did is we took right down the middle of it half of it we took and we we planted an early planting a deadly dozen. I'll call it early. The front was, end of the window. It was yeah. It was the front end of the window. It was mid to late August when we got that. It was mid August. Normally, late August is our our groove. We know what late August yeah. produces in a deadly dozen plot. Now, real world wildlife products. That's my favorite blend. Is the deadly dozen. I, I personally, I think it's my favorite thing I could ever possibly plant. Uh, we know what it does when you plant it late August. We know how successful it can be. But to your credit, you came up with a great idea. We've got more real estate there to plant Deadly Dozen than what we're used to having. And we've got a brand new property that's a fresh palette. You know, we've got no preconceived anything like we would have had in Kentucky to influence. You said, let's plant one at the very front end of the window. So it was, I think, the 11th or 12th of August we planted that, which is the very front end of the window that it's even recommended. And it took us a little bit of time to get significant rain on it. It didn't happen immediately. It was like a what, No, it was less days, than a week. It was less than a week. Three days later, three, four days. Three, like three days at most. And then you wanted to plant the second plot 
at the end of the window. So I'm giving you to just see the difference not only in uh, how effective the growth of the various blends were, but the palatability and when they were palatable and how the deer and wildlife interacted with them. And the results have been so far more educational than what we could have expected because the birds, the turkeys have taught us a lot about these. And then obviously Mother Nature bit us in the butt on twin plot number two. Yeah, it did. But, I mean, and here was my thought process on this. Number one, yeah, I wanted to see – I wanted to put the deadly dozen to the test. I wanted to see what it was like on each end of the spectrum. You know, the success versus failure of the plot. And, again, you're totally – you're totally at Mother Nature's will on this. Anytime you plant a plot. We got one in. We got it in early. We got it in right. It got rain. And you're not and, used to that one being oh, the one we expected the rain. We thought that one could potentially suffer. Absolutely. So, But it, you know, it greened up quick. It grew well. And the deer started hammering it right away. You know, not big numbers, but turkeys were on it, you know, right away. Then we came back in the second one. We put it in, and and it's look, it's like this. It's like if I'm a if I'm a no hold'em, or yeah, no limit, Texas hold'em player in poker, mm-hmm. and you can tell me, hey, you can go all in right here, you may lose everything, or you can hedge your bet. You can get half of it in there, and you you're, you're going to win either on the back side or on the front side. One of these two hands, you're going to win. You're going to play both hands, right? Yep. I mean, that's the way I looked at 100%. it. hundred percent. It's diversifying know, your portfolio. It, it was an educational value, but also at the same time, it's we're hedging our bets a little bit. We've got more real estate to play with. Let's let's put one in on the front side, one in on the back side, see what happens. And, man, we just won both hands. We won both hands. And, and I will say this. The turkey population there was far greater than what we gave it credit for. So I had a bumper turkey season. It was a great year for me. I, I filled two tags. Probably could have filled three and chose not to. Uh, you had a solid season, but neither one of us hunted this farm more than one time. I hunted I it once. I don't want to brag, but I killed three birds on two shots. So, uh, Yeah. If anybody, if anybody <laughs> listened to any of our turkey season episodes, uh, you know what he's talking about. If you haven't, it's worth going back and, and hearing the, the accident that occurred there uh, and how it was almost bad. Any, anyway, the turkey population is incredible. We've got plus 20 birds using that. And they absolutely hammered the seed that was in plot number two. Now, obviously, we we planted the exact amount that you're supposed to plant over this amount of acreage. And we ran it in as best we could, got the right soil contact, but we just didn't get rain. Once it finally dewed enough to get some sprouts, we said, okay, you know, this thing's going to be all right. We got a couple little light mists, and then Mother Nature turned back off. And we just recently got rain again. And, and this plot's been in now for uh, five or six weeks. And it is doing an incredible job after this most recent rain. The rebound has been remarkable. It looked like it was going to really suffer. But I'm telling you, the bounce back on it was incredible. And, and that's a total testament to the seed blend the real world puts out there. And, and I'll go back to something that, I, and I know I've quoted him a few times on this podcast. We've had him on a podcast in the past. Dwayne Hopkins, who is the seed mm-hmm. specialist for Real World Wildlife Products and Kitchen Seed Company. But Dwayne made a comment that, look, as long as you get rain at any point in time before you get a real heavy frost, you're going to get a growth season out of that deadly dozen plot. And we're seeing that right now. I mean, we're here in mid-October, and we just got a sizable rain last night. And, man, it just exploded. And it's nice because you got the cell cam on the plot so we right. can kind of see what's going on. Right. And... 
obviously it's it's one that it was the back end of the window, but it was still within the window. You know, we didn't we didn't break any rules by doing it. We just kind of pushed our luck a little bit, and, and we really were starting to get concerned. Truly, up until today, that maybe we had lost a little bit on that. But what it's essentially done for us is it's given us three plus acres of top notch cream of the crop food in twelve different varieties. And then it's given us three different wind directions we can hunt it based on where we set up two stands and then built an elevated blind. Yeah, and, and you know, it, and you really, you got to look at also on the food plots and, and the fact that we have two different growth stages for each of those 12 seed blends on each plot. Um, you know, we've, we've got deer and turkey feeding in both. It seems right. like they do prefer, seems to me, in, in, in watching what we've seen so far, they do prefer that fresh growth more than anything. Which is why Real World encourages you to hit the middle to back end of your window right. instead of the front to middle. But in saying that, we still have plenty of good deer numbers hitting the early planting as well. So there's something in that plot right now that is very palatable to those deer, and they prefer eating in there at times as well. So, And that was the whole purpose of that seed blend, is that things oh yeah. become palatable at different rates. So if, if it, all things were equal and everything was planted at once, you're still going to see different things being eaten at different times. But now we've just added that element to... Uh, it's almost to, like instead of 12 seed types, we've almost got 24 there because well, you, they're in different growth stages Or you're well. creating two breakfasts, two lunch, two suppers, two desserts. Uh, you know, if they really liked one particular seed at a given maturity, they're going to get a chance at it again. Absolutely. Uh, so, and, and the science isn't over. That's the beautiful part about this is truly the best of the science is probably still ahead of us. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. You know, as, as we're here in the middle of October in the lull, we've got some great seeking and chasing that's going to go on. And the fact that we have, you know, between five and seven deer every single day, all does hitting this food source, we know there's going to be tremendous buck activity right there. And, and we may have bucks hitting it that we don't know about because you can't truly cover three acres with one camera and the second camera that's over there isn't a cell camera and we haven't pulled that card in some yeah, time have no idea what's and that's on it. the thicker area for a deer to come from so uh we've got some mri that we're going to gather over the next couple of weeks on these plots but i don't think it could set up any better on that part of the farm than what it is right now and we've actually got two tags filled from that elevated blind in the same evening side by side yeah that was a heck of a good hunt I mean, uh, it ranks right up there. We we had been holding off and not hunting this spot because we wanted to make sure we had the right wind direction when we go in and and the right conditions. And and uh, yeah, we were both at work and I text you. I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to go this evening. You want to (laughs) go? And I actually had no plans of going because I'd hunted hard all opening weekend. And this was the back end of the cold front. And uh, bless bless my beautiful wife. She got off work early and, and had wanted to go to the pumpkin patch, the orchard, uh, as we go every October. And uh, I had mentioned in the morning before you had even text me that, man, you know, I should have planned to hunt today because I think today would be a great day to maybe get out there and, and have a good harvest. Uh, she just thought of it that evening, you know, as we were getting ready to decide whether we were going to this pumpkin patch. Uh, she said, you know what, you said it would be a good day to hunt. Don't you, don't you think maybe you should hunt and we should go on a on a warmer day to the pumpkin patch and it was it was just the most beautiful it's moment. A good woman there. It's it was the most beautiful moment she she just blessed me with that opportunity and I met you out there and man what a hunt it was. Yeah, it was uh it, a lot of fun, man. And I I ain't gonna lie. I was 
I, I wanted to kill a turkey probably a little bit more than what I wanted to harvest a doe just because I, I don't know why, but I just – it ain't like I'm mad at them, but at the same time <laughs> – They did a number on that plot. <laughs> at the same time, I you know, I'm just kind of – I'm in turkey mode all the time anymore, it seems like. And, um, you know, I'm eyeballing those turkeys every time we – you know, you send me pictures on the, from the cell cam. And um, so that, I was really anxious to shoot a turkey. And, man, they, they flooded us. I mean, we had – they did their part. You know, I, I ain't going to lie, I missed the first shot. You well, you, you you hit feathers. I did. I, I hit a feather. and um, But it was a miss, you know, and, and we knew that because we watched. That was a beautiful thing about these turkeys. You shoot at them with a bow, and they don't go anywhere. I mean, they just, they're just they just there still, it's man. It's amazing. That's, they're eating, you know. They're eating. And uh, then, we you know, another one comes in close, and I guess I probably should have said, hey, here's another one up close. You want to shoot at it, JP, or? I no, didn't even ask, did no. I? I just grabbed my bow. I'm you, like, you on it? <laughs> you didn't, but you didn't have to tell me how excited you were about hunting the birds because I knew, you know, I know you so well and I could tell. And when the birds started coming in, I just grabbed the camera. I didn't, we didn't even talk about it. I said, I, no, you're shooting. I want you to shoot. With that other bird coming in. Well, and I had the rangefinder in my hand too. I, I knew that was going to be another opportunity. Uh, and man, you cashed in on it. You you stone cold dropped it. Oh, I did, man. There I wasn't did. even a flop. No, it was just like uh, staking it to the ground, and it just rolled over dead. It was know? a light switch. I've never seen anything. That, that like was it. the quickest, cleanest kill I've ever had on anything. I mean, outside, oh, yeah. even shooting them with a shotgun, I, you get more of a flop with a shotgun. Oh, certainly, you know? certainly. So, Other than I don't know what was moving underneath the platform because I kept threatening to call that turkey some some kind of zombie turkey because we kept hearing something move under I, there i swear i was waiting for a coyote to come running out from under our platform dragging my bird that would have been a horrible state of affairs i guarantee you we'd have shot a couple arrows at him i don't know I, yeah. that would have been a bad deal uh well and the hunt continued we had more birds come in so that first group of birds was was a group of four and we thought wow you know this this is good we've seen more birds than this but we've not been here all this long this is perfect Turns out another huge group came through, uh, had an opportunity, got feathers, but it was a deep shot. It was 30 yards. I mean, you can't really expect to to necessarily nail one down with that. Just so for I, clarification I wasn't purposes, too upset. It was you that took the second, oh. <laughs> not me that took the shot on the other bird. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I wasn't too upset, uh, knocked another one, just sat there and got ready. We, we didn't have any more opportunities with birds. But I knew, based on cell cam data, exactly where those does were going to come out. And you and I had kind of placed a bet. You had bet one thing, and I'd bet the other. And, and, and they came out more or less, read the script exactly where I thought they would, and worked through that first plot, fed there for a little bit, and then moved to the young growth. And that mature doe that was in the front was coming in. And you were sitting on the left side of the blind operating the camera i was on the right side of the blind the deer were coming from our right we have the the wonderful luxury of hunting from uh the primos double bull blinds this was a 270 so if you're familiar with the window patterns on a 270 i was looking to shoot out the middle triangle uh in the in the blind and where your angle was versus where the doe was coming in you were on it and as you have traditionally been the entire time i've hunted with you you're like super freaking excited as a cameraman, and it's infectious. I love it. But you're always <laughs> ready for the guy to take the shot. Uh, and yeah. it applies to turkeys, too. And you're like, okay, I'm on it. I'm on her. I'm on her. Take it. Take it. I'm ready. I'm like, Dave, I, I don't have a shot. <laughs> I mean, she wasn't even close. She needed to come another 15 yards before I had the angle. You know, and I, I don't even realize that I do that. I, I, that's the beautiful part I, about I, it. Yeah, but it, you know, it, it, as I go through and I edit these videos, I'm like, 
God, I wish I could shut up. You know, because it's just a pain in the ass to have me talking the whole time. Well, you know? you, I mean, you were you were in the ear a little bit, <laughs> and and you're like, okay, okay, all right. And you know, she took a couple steps. All right, you you on her? And I said, no. I said, should I draw? She kind of went into a blind spot for me. Uh, one of the vertical areas has a blacked out window covering, and that's where she was. And I didn't know if she was still moving or exactly where she was. And I said, should I draw? And you said, oh yeah, 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 get ready. So I I come full draw. And I'm shooting the Matthews VXR this year, and it's a 31-and-a-half-inch axle-to-axle. So it's a, it's a taller bow for a blind. Uh, I still have my triax. Potentially, maybe I should have brought it into the blind being just 28 inches. But that doe hung up, and we had almost no wind at all. I don't know if she heard the draw or if she just kind of had, had some wind. She heard that daggone blind shaking. <laughs> well, she, she didn't hear that right off the bat. Well, that's true. Not in the very beginning. Any, I'm at full draw, and time just refused to move. If it was one of those little hourglass you can tip over, the sand was clogged up. I mean, you needed to plunge it. I mean, it just wouldn't move. And it, it was unreal, honestly. I mean, it was totally unreal, you know, because I'm sitting there watching, and I've got, folks, I've got a beautiful, clear view of this doe <laughs> standing there broadside, <laughs> and I'm like, I could shoot this doe right now. I know I know JP over here is a full draw, and I'm like, I'm on it. Shoot it. I'm on it. I'm on it. You got it? And he's like, I can't see it. Well, I'm like, oh, boy. And and then after about two minutes, and I'm not exaggerating, folks, after about two minutes, I start feeling this vibration in the blind. I start feeling some vibration. as JP holding his bow back. And that two minutes turns to, like, damn near three minutes. And finally, she stump, she comes walking over, and she stops there for a second. And I I look at JP over the corner of my eye, and he's, like, shaking so violently hard, holding his bow back. And I'm like, <laughs> in my mind, I was like, this is not going to end well. There is no way in hell he can make this shot. So I literally, I was like, I got it right here. You want me to shoot her? He's like... Didn't answer at first. I'm like, right here, I got her. You want me to shoot her? And I literally start kind of handing mm-hmm. my hands going toward my bow, and he's like, no, I got her. I'm like, okay, all right, we'll wait. And I swear another minute goes by. Well, like, she had to take one more step because she was quartering two at that point. I, yeah. I refused to take that shot. And, and she finally turned, took the step back to the right to go full broadside, and it was over three minutes at, at this point that I'd been at full draw and I had the shot I wanted. And I elevated off the chair because I realized at full draw that that broadhead may not clear the edge of the blind. And I had an episode this spring. You have a a, a habit of shooting blinds. (laughs) I shot the blind this spring in turkey season. So I had to elevate. Well, back to the axle to axle on this bow, then the cam is touching the top of the bow or top of the blind. And I finally get clearance and, and let the shot go. And luckily... That was the greatest shot I've ever taken on a game. Animal. Oh man, you 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 diced her heart, man. It was it, it was, was a great shot, and it was over so quickly. And I I have no idea how you were able to. I mean, I know yeah you're, you know you're built like a brick house, man. I mean, working out all the time, so I get how you can hold your bow back that long. But to be able to gather yourself back in, and and to be able to calm down enough to make that shot. That was pretty spectacular stuff right there. I mean, I it know felt we're, good. <laughs> that was a trophy doe. There ain't no doubt about it. That was a trophy doe. It, it, it felt really good. Uh, I don't know if it was circling back to, you know, other 
moments I've had where I got buck fever or doe fever. Because admittedly, a lot of guys won't admit this, I shake any time I shoot a doe. Not just because I was at full draw. To a certain degree, I get doe fever almost as much as buck fever because I just don't take it lightly that I'm I'm taking a life. Uh, it, it matters. If it's a turkey, if it's anything, it, it matters to me. And I really want to succeed at that. And, and I've made a bad shot, a colossally bad shot before. And any time I, I come to full draw, I think about that shot. And, and what did I do wrong that day that I could do better this time? Yeah, my shoulder sort of came out of socket because I've got a weird labrum. But that's no reason to mess up. I mean, I was still at full draw. I still screwed other parts of that shot up. So uh, for me, it's just running through that checklist in your mind. And, and, it's, and it's simple. You have to hit every single part of the checklist in order to make a good shot. And it's the same way I practice in the yard, and it was the same way I took the shot. It's not going to work every single time. It sure I'm, ain't going to work for me if i got to hold my bow back for over three minutes. I mean, that was just unreal. I don't think I could physically do that. I really don't think I could. Well, that that's just going to the gym, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Well, uh, I'm out. I ain't going to the gym. <laughs> but it was, it was an incredible harvest. And, and uh, my favorite part about the whole thing is that I got to share it with you. Uh, I had never shot a deer with you yeah, before. Yeah, that was uh, our we, first time. We had been hunting together and filming together a million times, but never had success on, on harvesting an, an animal so that, or a, a deer. Uh, so that was that was pretty awesome. Uh, a lot of great meat for the freezer now. And, man, that takes a tremendous amount of pressure off of your season when you're very driven to have the meat, which is the whole reason I got into hunting in the first place. It wasn't to chase bone. It was to chase meat. And uh, to have that in the freezer is a huge relief. Uh, at this point last year, not only were, were we not encountering all that many does, we weren't encountering bucks. And then when you get into the rut, you refuse to shoot a doe because it's not the right thing to do. Right. And then from a management standpoint, do you want to shoot a doe after the rut? Because, well, then are you shooting one deer? Are you shooting two deer? Or are you shooting three deer when you shoot that doe? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, harvesting one before the lull is just ideal, perfect. Uh, but the fact that they're already back and really, really active in those plots tells me that the way we went about recovery mattered, uh, that we didn't booger it up. And two, the fact that she went down so quickly and so conveniently located, we didn't really mess anything up. No, we were we were literally turkey recovered, deer recovered, deer gutted, both animals tagged, back outside of the area, sitting at the truck drinking a bush light before, before dark. it got dark. Yeah, I mean, we were in and out quick. I mean, it was uh, it was a very precise execution of a plan, and and it worked out real well. So, um, I think I think we've got to feel like we're set up well there. Now, obviously, we hunt Kentucky, and and some of you Kentucky archers or, or hunters are listening to this show. Uh, I don't know what to expect from that farm. I, I know that we had another good buck show up on camera last night that is very mature. Uh, I, I it's talk, pretty exciting. Yeah, the science I talk of that. About that a little bit. Talk yeah, about it. Uh, you know, here's the thing, guys, and I've I've been at this game hunting for over 30 years, and I know, um, just like everybody else there, you know, if you're if you're a student of it and you you like to read articles, you like to watch videos, you like to try to learn from others, read books, whatever. I'm sure you've heard people talk about how a buck likes to bed with the wind at his back, and um, so he can see danger approaching, but he can smell anything behind him. Uh, I've heard that so many times, mm-hmm. but yet when you until you see that with your own eyes, it's tough for that to register with you. Um, it's tough for you to kind of grasp that and say, "Wow, it, it was an aha moment, really." 
So what I did uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I took a good, we had good conditions, and we've got a spot back on a ridge. We've got a stand hung there. We get a double set. It every year it's just littered with acorns. It's littered with beds and it's littered with rubs and scrapes. However, it is dang near impossible. I won't say it's totally impossible because I'm hoping that we learn enough by having a cell cam back there to learn when we can hunt it. But we haven't figured out when we can go in and hunt that without boogering it up. You know, and we've even thought about it's essentially. Obviously, anybody that hunts in Kentucky, especially that area, knows about the hills and the hollers. And it's just a ridge that's a peak that, you know, it just juts out and it's got two hollers on either side of it. And we thought, you know, potentially maybe move that stand further back the ridge, closer to where you could access. But that's even closer to where a lot of the big scrapes are. And I still don't know that that keeps you from boogering anything. Once you get to that point, you've already made a lot of racket. It's it's almost like you need to be dropped out of a helicopter to truly hunt it. Yeah, well, we, we tried to get in there last year, and, and on our way in, we jumped a fairly nice buck. And, and it could have been this deer. It could have very well been the deer we got pictures of. So I decided to slide in there and put a cell cam up facing a scrape that was there last year. It was not created yet. There was no sign of a scrape this year whatsoever there yet. But I went ahead and I, I, you know, I, I put the cell cam there and got out. And, of course, I got does showing up right away eating, eating the, uh, the acorns, and, and uh, they're there every day, and the does are bedding there. And that's one thing that, again, and maybe this is where my time and as long as I've been at this and the things that I've read other people write, maybe that works against me somewhat because my whole thought process was these deer are running around at nighttime, and they're bedding down all day long. That's just the way I was brought up. That's what deer do. You know, they bed down during the day. Not at all what's going on back there. These deer back there, and it started with the does a few weeks ago, they are feeding on those acorns middle of the day. They are not there a lot of times in the evening hours, but they get in there in the middle of the night and they bed down. And they're laying there all night long. And they get up in the early morning hours after daylight, and they move out. They come back middle of the day, feed on acorns, and they don't see them again until nighttime. So that kind of goes against conventional wisdom. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, some people explain that they're ruminants, and they're going to eat a certain amount of times a day. But I'm with you. I've always thought, man, yeah. most of that activity is at night. Bed down, yeah, bed down during the day, and they move around a lot at night. So, um Hadn't seen much buck activity at all. Had had gotten a couple pictures of some smaller some smaller bucks coming in there eating acorns, but no scraping activity until just a couple nights ago. We had a buck come in and open that scrape up. Young buck. Yeah, he was a young buck, probably two year old. I'm yeah. gonna guess. Mm-hmm. Um, opens that scrape up. He goes on about his business. Then, damn the luck! It's like we always have issues. This property that, is snake bit. It's like snake bit big time. We have. It wasn't even that bad of a storm blow through. I mean, it was very mild wind. Dark tree fell on the scrape. A tree fell down in front of the camera right on the scrape. I mean, I'm talking a big tree, centers up the scrape, covers it up. Right right. after this buck opened it up. So I'm thinking, well, that camera's screwed. I'm not going to get any pictures now for a while. Well, I'll be dipped if a mature buck doesn't come in and bed down right in front of the camera again. And it was so neat because... I could watch him bed down, 
in the direction he was facing, and then I would literally, every time he'd move, I'd get a picture, right? Mm -hmm. So as soon as he beds down, I pull up the wind direction over there, and I see which way the wind's blowing. Sure enough, it's at his back. About two hours later, there was a shift in the wind direction. And just like clockwork, the buck stands up, turns around, and lays down the other way so he can keep that wind at his back and see the other direction. I watched him do that three or four times through the night as the wind shifted slightly, the buck shifted slightly to keep the wind at his back. To me, that was just totally fascinating. And I know I've heard this, I've read it before, but to see it play out like that, it's pretty golden for me. It's educational. I mean, it's it's coming down to uh, understanding a little bit more of, of what we're doing, but even more than understanding what we're doing, understanding how we can uh, find a way to learn from the mistakes we know we're going to make and, and learn from the environmental cues that are given to us. Would you have even thought to do this four years ago? I don't think oh, you would Oh, absolutely not. No, not at all. I don't I think mean, you would have. It's next level, the thought you had. I, again, similar to the, uh, the the science with the plots there, this is this is credit to you to go ahead and say, you know what, let's just let's just see what happens. And obviously taking the cues and, and learning from it is, is pretty incredible. But I think the other thing is it's going to give us some inventory on, okay, obviously we know this mature buck likes that area, likes that scrape. Who else does? Who else is going to start coming by and saying, hey, you know, that's that's what I need to freshen up. And then we can use that data compared with cameras in other areas to triangulate, okay, here's the home area for buck one, buck two. Here's where they overlap. And maybe that's where you set up to hunt. You know, maybe take a climber yeah. in. Identify something that you hadn't seen yet. It, uh, you know, it, it, as long as, as I've been a student of this game and trying to learn as much as I could from others that are way more successful than I'll ever be, um, it, it doesn't it doesn't validate itself until I see it with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. I, and, and that's probably just my personality, but um, it, it really does seem like that uh, I'm on the precipice. Precipice? Precipice. Precipice. Yes. I'm going to say it right. P-I-C-E is the That's, It's that. so nice having you around to keep me straight <laughs> with this stuff. I don't, don't want to talk about any vegetation or anything. <laughs> Aquatic <the> vegetation. <laughs> oh, Lord. And as many times as you rip ass and cut cut some cheese in this. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's me or you. I There's there's a fair amount of random audio blips <laughs> that occur in this show. Oh, man. But it's really nice to, to be able to experience that for yourself. So I, I would challenge people out there. Um, as many cell cams are out there now, and, and they're getting the price points are getting pretty nice to the point where, you know, just a couple of years ago, we weren't in that game, that cell cam no, game. No, they were 250 300 bucks. And now, I mean, I've got a couple of them running, and now you've got a couple of them running, and, um, and I'm probably going to get another one here soon. You know, I mean, just it's so neat to put those in areas that you really can't get in and hunt. You don't want to get in and check cards. Well, that's okay. So that's the other thing. Obviously, we, we reached a new level. Three years ago. I'd say 17 to 18, we reached a new level as hunters. I, I obviously was because I was much younger in the game. But even you escalated at a certain point. But we we almost learned too much or we allowed too much outside influence, and I think we blew some spots up by getting too cute with it. We were trying to get more MRI. We had the best of intentions, but we had too much of a presence in some places. And Absolutely. so the last couple seasons, well, we've scaled that back. We realized the error of our ways. Well, now the beauty of the cell cam is it eliminates the urge to 
get in there and find out something maybe before you should or not pick the right conditions. And, you know, obviously wind direction even matters when you check a trail camera because it's just like hunting. Your body and your odor is there. Just because you don't have your bow in hand doesn't mean you should not factor in wind direction when you check a camera card. Well, now a cell cam is, a, is another great equalizer, as you used the last episode, to create a, a situation where, you know, you don't mess up as much, and it, and it keeps you honest. Uh, and for the price point that they're at, man, it's just a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. And I, I truly think a cell camera is going to help us kill a buck this year, and I can say that without question. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's, it's one of the greatest tools out there. And then you'll have some people that are – that will say that, oh, it's kind of unethical to use a cell cam. I, I won't get involved in that argument. I'll, I'll say this. I'll use every advantage I can as long as, as I feel like it's ethical, morally responsible, and legal to do so. And I don't Keyword have a problem. Legal. I don't have a problem with using a cell camera. And I'll tell you, years past, I was more of a boots-on-the-ground kind of guy. I want to get out there, and I want to visually see the sign. I want to see where the scrapes are, where the rubs are, where the runs are, how it all ties together. I want to walk it all. Look, there's a time to do that, but it's after the season. Right. If you do it right now, yeah, you see that sign, but you don't know if it's happening in the middle of the night, the middle of the day. You have no idea when that's taking place. The only thing that you know for sure is that you walking in there really screwed that area up. 100%. Uh, I think without question this is going to – going to play a factor in our season and I don't take for granted that we'll even have success maybe we won't but I I I can't think that having those is going to to leave no impact I think we will have a better year whether we harvest anything or not because of them and I I would almost argue that we that we already have we've got a doe harvest probably because of that because we knew how regular and what time and and what direction the deer were coming from so as you could analyze what wind direction to get in and uh, obviously, that's just one area that we have those, uh, the, the food plot, and then you've mentioned already this ridge that, that we've seen some good activity. Let's talk about that buck for a second. Uh, he's very mature. It looks like he has an extra beam. I think, you know, I was looking at it closer. I, I, blew, I got a high-resolution uh, picture of that. Is that not the case? I, I would call it a triple beam on one side. I think he's got three three main beams on one side, um, which in the nighttime photos it's hard to tell. I, I said he's almost like an inverse. So, like the left side of his rack looks like a completely typical normal deer rack, and then the right side was almost like it grew out, but everything went the, the wrong direction. And I think it was a camera trick based on the angle he was at. That's just See, a it really unique It almost looks like buck. that, like the top there is almost like a fork. You know, like that's a main beam kind of, almost like a second main beam. And of course, it, that comes off a little higher, but then that's another main beam. It's almost, it looks like if, if you look at the side profile, his right side looks like he's got three main beams. And we may use that image, that high-resolution image, as our uh, image for this episode, just so you kind of have a frame of reference as to what we're talking about. But this is a mature deer that you actually believe is blind in one eye. Yeah, and, and that, that's another thing I just find fascinating with these nighttime pictures that I get with the cell cam. Um, it's actually, I've got two properties now that I've got bucks that have one eye that's working, one eye that's not. The one's pretty obvious on the Indiana property because his eyeball literally is hanging out. To <laughs> I haven't <laughs> hey, seen that. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, I'll show you pictures when we get off the air. It's pretty bad. That's a health risk. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he seems to be doing well. It looks healthy. looks extremely healthy. He's had it all summer long. I mean, just that eyeball is just literally bulged out and gone. But, uh, but this deer... Uh, 
when you see that flash of the camera or whatever it is that sets it off that illuminates the picture. Uh, infrared, typically. Okay, infrared. <laughs> you, you with your big fancy words. <laughs> infrared. So, infrapaint. You, one of the eyes lights up. The other eye does not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to think that he's blind in one eye. Uh, and, and you've had a, a few different pictures. It wasn't just one picture that you came to this determination. It was pretty much any picture that would show both of them that was the case. Uh, had it been just one, I don't know that I would have agreed with you, but I'm kind of inclined to think maybe you're right. And the picture that's high resolution is showing the good side. So yeah. we couldn't really tell in daylight there either what was going on. Uh, I think that's a shooter buck without question. Obviously, he's not a tremendous score, but – He's a mature buck, and they're too darn hard to kill and too hard to find. We don't run along, and we don't have many, especially not with the genetics to uh, to get tremendous. He's a shooter buck, man. Yeah, I don't think I could pass him up. I really don't. And he's unique. He's he's cool. He's old. Uh, and what was it you decided to name him? Uh, the mule. The mule. Yeah, yeah. But and, and the only reason I said that initially is because. The one side in the dark, it looks like a mule deer mm-hmm. side. You know, he looks like his right antler looks like a mule deer side because it's got those big forks on it. But turns out in daylight, those are just extra beams coming off of there. Yeah, a very unique buck. Uh, super excited to chase after him. We've got some other bucks that we haven't seen on camera yet. That uh, well, we have seen one of them on camera, uh, but another one that we haven't. We don't know if he's alive or dead. But if he's alive, is Probably pretty darn good. Probably huge. Yeah. Uh, and we have not gone into that core area at all where we actually think both of those bucks are probably spending some significant time. Uh, he's probably a good-sized buck. And then we've got Mick and the mare. So yep. Kentucky has some potential to it. Uh, it's just figuring it out, man. Yeah. Well, I, I really do believe the fact that um, – we're not really putting a footprint on that property whatsoever. Less impact in 2020 than we've ever had. Yeah, and I really do think when we do dive in there and things really start popping, I think, I really do think that we're going to have some eye-opening success over there. I, I think whether or not we tag anything, I don't know, but I think we're just set up to have just some really spectacular hunts. And just to have encounters. You know, that's the thing. You don't have to have a harvest or a shot opportunity to have it be successful, at least in my mind. Everybody has their own goals and, and expectations, but for me, I don't need that to be successful. I, I think I, it just encounters are really all I need. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we're set up to have those in spades. I think so as well. And I hope you guys are having a good season as well. We'd love to hear about it. Reach out to us. Uh, give us some, some pointers or, or tell us about your season. Show us a cool buck that you're chasing or maybe a harvest that you've already had. Uh, we'd love to see and hear it. Yeah. Well, until next time, guys, hook them or hunt them. Pro Talk Outdoors. Later, guys.